Father, thank you for Phil, Lord. Thank you Lord, assembly on Father's Day to come and be a blessing to us. Lord, would you anoint him by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. We ask that the heavens over this house be open. <coughs> May the altar of the church of heaven, your kingdom come and your let your anointing let your presence be so strong. Break yokes, lift burdens, bring healing, bring restoration. Ignite the fire of revival this church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Morning, Oakley. Morning. Are you okay? Yeah. I'm just going to lower this. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit low. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they make them that low, do they, Anna? <laughs> do you know what? I was at a Greek wedding, my first Greek wedding yesterday. So it was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> remarkably, remarkably so. Um, the first time I ever came to Oakley, I mean, we're in a nice new building now, aren't we? It's very posh, isn't it? But uh, I, I first came here, Mike rang me, and I didn't really know him. We knew about each other from a distance, and uh, he rang me and said, please could you come and speak at Oakley? And so I said, sure. And so um, we booked a date, and then um, I rang him probably a few days beforehand and said, um, is there anything particularly that you'd like me to address? And he said, well, he said, I've just announced to the church that I'm leaving. And I went, oh, thanks. <laughs> and so that was my first encounter with Oakley. Mike had just announced that he was leaving, and then he came back. And since then, he and I have become very, very good friends. And he's preaching at my church this morning over in, uh, over in Palmer's Green. So I have no idea what he's preaching on, but I'm sure it'll be great. Um, so they're all looking forward to hearing him this morning. But if you've got your Bibles with you, that will be impressive straight away. I'd like you to open the Gospel of John at chapter 4. And we're going to have a look, uh, just a, a small part of this story. I'm going to read to you from John 4, verses 27 on to 42. Um, if you can have your Bibles open in front of you today, it's always a good idea to check that the, the preacher is actually speaking from the Word rather than from his, uh, his head. And uh, there are bits and pieces that I will refer to that aren't in the passage I'm reading. So you'll be able to look around it. So let's read from verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? 
My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying... One sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we are no longer, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now many people say to me that um, it's not what you know, it's who you know, or it's a case of being in the right place at the right time. But um, in this story, Jesus is in the wrong place at the right time. Let me uh, just illustrate a little bit, if I may. Jesus is classically where he shouldn't be. I don't know if you'll know this, but when you read the Gospels, you'll find that he pays scant regard to the ideas of what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And uh, so Jesus often ends up doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. Actually, he does God's thing at the right time, but it actually flies right in the face of contemporary culture and what people think should be done. I like that. I don't know about you, but I like that. Jesus, for instance, heals on the Sabbath all the time. Probably he shouldn't by the Jewish laws of the day, but Jesus doesn't seem to worry about that. He heals on the Sabbath. And Jesus here is in the wrong place. Let me uh, try and grab this. Just put your hands up for a moment. You can play this morning. It's okay. Put your hands up, right? I want you to draw a little circle. This is Sea of Galilee, okay? What is it? Okay. And a wiggly line from the bottom... Okay, and then you have the Dead Sea. Okay, now I'm going to try and do it in reverse. So just over here is Jerusalem, and just above the Dead Sea. And then up here you have Galilee, where Jesus does most of his ministry, where Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin and those places at the top. And so there were two places of main ministry within Israel at this point. One which was at the top of the Sea of Galilee, and, uh, and around the Sea of Galilee. And the other was around Jerusalem and below near the Dead Sea. And the area in between was called Samaria. And Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them for various reasons. I'm not going to go into it. You can put your hands down now. It's okay. Um, <laughs> so the Jews hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans represented people that were almost Jewish but not quite. And so there was a kind of a racial hatred. And to such an extent that um, the Jews on, in the middle of Samaria, there was a copy of the temple. Okay? It had been trashed by this point on Mount Gerazim. But um, down in Judea, if a Jew wanted to get back up to his family in Galilee, they would go over to the, the, the the Jordan River, up the Jordan River, and then back into the area of Galilee. Not because it was the quickest route, but because it avoided going through Samaria. And they would avoid it like the plague. 
And Jesus, in this situation, John tells the story about Jesus going, but he says he needs must go through Samaria. He was in a hurry to get to Galilee, and he didn't care about going through Samaria. So he comes to a place, and he sits down at a well in a place called Sychar, or Sychar, or Sychar, however you pronounce it. Now, I want just to stop for a moment because, and point something out to you. God is quite often keen to go to the wrong places because actually it's the people in those places that he cares about. Let me just uh, give you by way of a testimony. I grew up in um, a Baptist church. Actually, it wasn't a Baptist church. It was a gospel standard, strict and particular Baptist church. That's what my parents were. My father was a deacon in one of those churches. And I grew up, um, religion was part of our lives, okay? You've probably never heard of the gospel standard, strict and particular Baptists, unless you're a Baptist pastor, okay? I um, sometimes affectionately refer to them as the Baptist military wing, okay? They are very, very strict, okay? (laughs) And that's what I grew up with. And I grew up, uh, it's a form of hyper-Calvinism. Again, you can ask a Baptist minister what that means. But um, where basically I didn't, all I knew was that I couldn't be saved unless God chose me. There's nothing I could do about it. It didn't matter how repentant I felt, God had to choose me. And so that's what I grew up with. Now, I was desperate to know Jesus. At the age of 14, I was crying out to God, and, uh, and, and I just seemed to run into this brick wall of, I hadn't had this call from heaven. I wanted Jesus with all my heart. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing happened. And in the end, I gave up, and I became, well, I became an atheist, really. I just said, well, if God's not interested in me, I'm not interested in him. Grumpy teenager. And so, in the end, uh, you know, I, I became an atheist. Uh, I struggled a little bit with atheism because I was studying all sorts of things. Uh, when I studied physics, I thought, oh man, how can I be an atheist? This just doesn't work. Um, and, and, and it kind of went on. And I went to university. I came up here to university in North London. And, uh, and I began to cry out for God, who I didn't believe in. And I went back home to Luton, to a wedding, and I went to a Mormon church. You can at this point say, if you like, okay. I went to a Mormon church because my friend was getting married and she had become a Mormon. And I went, and I'm not great at weddings. Um, I like my own, okay, but uh, that was good. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I went to this church and I was on my own when I walked up to the door and I was so desperate to know God at that point. 21 years old, I said to God, If you're real, I want to know. Whatever. I just want to know. And in that service, something happened. The power of God came. We sang an old hymn, and I don't know why they'd chosen it, How Great Thou Art. I didn't know it. It wasn't in the Gadsby's hymns book that I grew up with, okay? Um, But it it was a great song. And as I sang it, the Lord came and stood right next to me. He came where he shouldn't be. And over the next 48 hours, I wept my way into the kingdom of God. And at the end of that time in that church, at the end of that worship song, the presence of God vanished just like that. And I said to the Lord afterwards, I said, what were you doing in a Mormon church? And he said, I don't normally go. 
but you were there. And I would go to the ends of the earth for you, my son. And I want you to know something, that God knows your name. And there's nowhere that he wouldn't go to find you. Sometimes we think that God doesn't go into unholy places. But God doesn't go <laughs> at things. He's not afraid of the most desperate, sin-infested dens in the world. And he would go anywhere in the world to find someone whose heart was hungry to know him. So I became a Christian at that point. I didn't know any other Christians. I was up here in North London studying, so I came back and wrote to a friend and uh, I thought, oh, what do I do now? And, um, and eventually ended up going to St. Barnabas where I was baptized a month or so later. And, um, and I began a relationship with Jesus. Now, I have been probably a little bit disparaging about the church I grew up in today. But I want to highlight something about them in a second that will probably put them, I think, in a better light. So, let's have a quick look at this story. So Jesus ends up in Sychar to meet this woman. And uh, I suspect it was probably the only reason he went. And as a result of it, revival broke out in a Samaritan town. And you might think to yourself, wow, this is amazing. Revival breaks out of nowhere. And it's quite clear to me that Jesus is, uh, if not surprised, full of wonder at what happens. And, uh, and, and, and he's, he's there sitting by this well. And, and then he begins to preach to this woman and share with this woman. He says to her, um, can I have a drink? And she comes out with the immortal words, the, the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. And he says, if you knew who it was who was speaking to you, and if you knew the gift of God, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And she goes, Where can, what are you talking about? You, know, you, you, you can't draw water. Where are you going to get this water from? And he begins to talk to her about eternal life. He exposes the, 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 the nature of her life, what's going on at the moment, and has this conversation. And we've entered the story at the end of this conversation. The woman has gone off into town to meet people. It's worth noting, I think, that she probably came in the, begin in the middle of the day because no one else came to gather water in the to get water in the beginning of the day. They always came when it was cool. But she came probably because she was a woman of some ill repute. But she came and to get away from everybody. But afterwards, she goes back into the town. Something has happened in here that has transformed her heart, that so changed her that she went back. She's no longer ashamed or afraid. She goes back and says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And, and, and Jesus begins to demonstrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that God's intent is that he would pour out his spirit. He doesn't care about denomination. He doesn't care about um, different uh, levels of theology or what you believe specifically, whether you're amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, panmillennial. By the way, panmillennial just means you'll believe it will pan out at the end. Okay. <laughs> Jesus, he says to this woman, it doesn't matter where we worship from now on in because the Father is looking for worshippers to worship in spirit and in truth. And he talks about the free gift of the Holy Spirit that God longs to pour out on his people. God longs to bless people more than people want to be blessed. Do you know that? Yes. 
me say that to you again. God longs to bless people more than people long for blessing. While we were still his enemies, Christ came and died for us. His desperate desire to be a father is far more desperate than the desire of us to be children. And so he comes to this place, but this is no ordinary place. You might think to yourself, well, it's a name called Sychar. It doesn't ever come up anywhere else in the Bible. But it does. And it comes out in this crazy throwaway thing that Jesus says to his disciples. They're talking to him and saying, you know, they don't dare ask him about why he's talking to a woman or why he's talking to a Samaritan. They say, you know, do you need something to eat? And he said, I've had food to eat. And there's kind of wonder in his voice at this point. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He said, you say that the fields, three months more and then the harvest. But look, the fields are white unto harvest. Others have labored and you are going to reap the benefits of their labor. What is he talking about? Why is Jesus suddenly talking about sowing and reaping when he's just had a conversation with this woman about being filled with the Holy Spirit? It's because Sychar is not just any other place. Because Jacob built a well there. And it's the modern name for Shechem in the Old Testament. And Shechem does come up over and over and over and over and over again. When God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and made him travel up the Euphrates River and he settled for a while in Haran in Turkey and then came down, where did he come to first? He came to Shechem and there he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. When Abraham responded in faith to God's call, the first place that he built an altar to worship was at Shechem. He goes down to Egypt, runs away from the promised land for a while, and then comes back, reestablishes worship. When Jacob comes um, out of, uh, back down from Haran, he comes to a place, where does he settle? Shechem. And there he says to his family, take your idols, take all of the things that you worship, bury them, and it says they buried them under the oak, the great oak at Shechem. They established a place there of coming to the Lord. And time after time after time in the Old Testament, this place figures as a place of covenant. Whoops. It's got a natural bent towards your size, Hannah. <laughs> Shechem was a place of covenant between God and his people. It wasn't Jerusalem, but it was the first place that Abraham came and established that covenant. It was one that Jacob came back to. And later on, when Joshua leads the children of Israel out of, when he leads them across the Jordan into the promised land, Moses brought them out of Egypt. Joshua takes them through into the promised land. And God says to him, when you get there, come to the place Shechem between Ebal and Gerazim, two mountains, and there proclaim the blessings and the curses of the covenant across the valley. It was a place of established covenant. And Jesus, and by the time Jesus was there, it's buried right in the middle of Samaria. No one can get to it. It's just a place. 
And Jesus comes and sits down by a well, but not just any well, a well that Jacob dug. And there, the miraculous starts to happen. And I want just to point something out to you. Sometimes we are always into the new. But people who sow again and again and again and again in faithfulness lay foundations for the generations to come. See, I came to this church before it was Oakley Community Church. I came here when it was a brethren assembly. And there were old saints in this place praying and sowing faithfully into the work of God. And when we're blessed here, God is answering the prayers of those people. He's answering the prayers of the brethren assembly that gathered here year after year after year and poured out their hearts to God in this place. Jesus says that those who lay foundations in faithfulness sow a harvest that others reap later on. And I think some of you need to hear that here. That there are things that you've sown in year after year after year of prayer and you've come to a place and you thought, I'm, I'm never going to see this. Nothing is forgotten that you sow in faithfulness. And we are a generation that is fast thinking about, well, I need it now, I need it straight away, and if I can't order it on Uber or Just Eats or whatever, it's not worth having. But God is a God of faithful love, and he responds to people of faithful love. And Abraham sowed, and Isaac sowed, and Jacob sowed, and the patriarch sowed, and Joshua sowed. And Jesus comes here and says, others have sowed, and you are going to reap. Because they sowed. And no one wants to sow anymore. They all want to reap. They all want to grab and get the next thing. But God is calling us to be a people who sow in faithfulness. You see, part of me growing up in a, a gospel standard, strict and particular um, uh, household, is we were on a, a council estate in Luton, okay? affectionately known by many as the armpit of England. Okay, uh, I can say that because I came from there. Um, and and, and mum and dad uh, brought up a family with seven kids on a council estate. And I have to say to you, we were not popular. Because every Sunday, I had to get dressed up in a suit. I'm still traumatized, okay. And I had to face the alley of my school friends to get to church twice on a Sunday. And I was mocked incessantly and the worst thing about it is I didn't even know what I was being mocked for because I, I was just a kid I didn't understand but my mum and dad had a rule in life there is nothing more important than Jesus absolutely nothing comes before God the family were laid on the altar work was laid on the altar Money was incessantly laid on that altar. The desire for a better living was laid on that altar. Nothing comes before honoring Christ. 
And I didn't understand it. And do you know what? People hated us for it. We were called Bible bashers. And I didn't even know what that was about. All I knew there was regularly, you know, at least every month, they stoned our house. They threw rocks at the door. My mum and my dad was always trying to fix the front door. I had friends on that estate and they mocked me as well. And the crazy thing about it is that though we didn't have many friends, when across the road there was a couple who were atheists and were self-proclaimed atheists, whenever they needed money, they came across the road. When their daughter uh, was choking to death, on something she'd breathed in. They came running across the road and my dad saved her life. They might not have liked us, but they knew where to find faithfulness. And I have lots that I would like to leave. I have left behind lots of stuff about uh, that kind of Christianity. But I want to honor faithful, solid Sowing, 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 saying nothing counts like God. Do you know when Christmas fell on a Sunday? We didn't celebrate Christmas. We pushed it to Boxing Day. Because nothing came before church. It's a bit different, isn't it? And we're in a living in a free and easy age of Christianity where actually it's an accessory. We add it on to life. But actually, Abraham faced this. Jacob faced it. Isaac faced it. Joshua faced it. And there was a, forgive me, a bloody-mindedness in them that said, nothing comes before God. When Elisha meets the woman, and he says to her in the time of famine, he says, can you go and, you know, she's, she said, I'm just going home. He said, can you bring me uh, some water? And she goes to, to uh, do what he says. And he says, could you bake me a cake as well and just bring that? And she says, sir, I've got one little bit of bread left, one little bit of flour left. I'm just about to go and bake a cake and I'm going to eat it with my son and then we're going to die because it's all we have. And Elisha says to her, go and do what you've said. But first... Bring me a cake. But first. And I, that's what I grew up with. But first. But first. But first. Honor Jesus. And we need this, folks. We need that bloody-mindedness that just says nothing comes before him. My family's thrown a party on, on a day when I should be at church. You choose. But first, you see, unless people sow, no one reaps. And Jesus stands here and he's about to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But it's built on a covenant between God and his people where people were faithful to that promise. And friends, goodness me.
I'm taking too much time. Friends, I don't want us to be anything less than those who live in the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. But when we receive the Holy Spirit, it still calls for faithfulness from God's people to sow and sow and sow and sow in prayer. I was walking up the road earlier when I came to church and I was here early and no one was here so I sneaked off and did a bit of a walk around and I, as I was walking up the road I looked up and there's a lovely old lady flashed me a smile and said good morning and I said good morning back and as I walked past her the Lord said she's one of mine it was Kate see God knows his own and you begin to recognize it as well in people. So this morning, God is calling us, church, to radical obedience. And there are no shortcuts to this. There are no easy, bless me quick, and I'll go out and have more fun. Radical obedience of the people of God. When we receive the blessing of God, we sow in radical obedience where God always comes. Second, first. And as a result, this woman, she's sitting there and Jesus says to her, can you get me a drink? And she says, I'm a Samaritan. <laughs> Come on, get real. Why are you talking to me? I mean, it looks from the tassels on your garment that you're a rabbi. <laughs> you shouldn't even be talking to me if you were a man. You shouldn't be talking to me if you were a Jew. You certainly shouldn't be talking to me if a rabbi. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and the one who's talking to you now, you would just ask and he will give you living water. See, God is a God of grace. We don't put God first because we're earning. We don't do that to impress him. We do it because he put us first. Do you know that? While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. The reason that God that we are blessed if we put God first is because he always put us first. And he comes to this woman who's not seeking him, but he sees hunger in her heart and says, if you knew. And she utters this classic statement, you have the well is deep and you have nothing to draw with. And it's just like, when I read it once, I was sitting in a church, I read it and I just thought, that is ex that's just the the exact state of us as human beings. The well is deep and we have nothing to draw with. You know, we face issues in life. We face cancer. And one day we will face death. And the well is deep and there is nothing that you can draw with. 
You might organize and strategize and sort out all of your life and you might have structured and you might have put away money and you might have it all sorted out. But someday, folks, something comes along and the well is deeper than you can imagine and you have nothing to draw with. And then you need a savior. And that savior, all he says to you is, just have to ask how I mean that was the crazy thing for me about growing up you know as I thought there were so many things I had to do to be a Christian and I when I encountered Jesus he just said do you want this just ask and I asked and rivers of living water flowed through me and I sat in that bedroom in my house in Luton no one else was around or I laid on my bed and I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept as rivers of fire and love flowed through my body and I was filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and over and over again and I did nothing except ask. Isn't God good? Yes. Yeah. I should probably stop now. But I wanted to leave you with these two thoughts three thoughts Jesus will go anywhere to find you anywhere I know a girl that became a Christian in a heroin high because she cried out to God before she took her last fix it was her last fix because she never injected again but Jesus met her in that high He doesn't seem to have the kind of that we have. God longs to pour out his Holy Spirit into you. To fill you with life. Let's be grateful for what's been done. And if you want to honor the past, live the same way now. Now there's a passage and I don't even know and someone will tell me this afterwards don't even know exactly where it is but it says consider it's Paul, I think it's Paul or Peter is talking about great men of faith and he says when you, when you behold and look at their works consider their works and emulate their guess faith Consider their works and emulate their faith. God is not asking us to copy anybody. He's asking us to look at the faith that drove these people and emulate their faith. That selfless pouring out of life for the sake of the gospel. I've rambled a lot this morning. I know you'll forgive me because you're Christians. But, um, but I hope and long that there will be a church here in a hundred years because you guys have sown the way that many faithful saints have sown. And I hope and pray that in a hundred years people will be saying they put God first every step of the way. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this crowd. Thank you that you love them dearly.
And I thank you that they are precious in your sight and honored in your sight. And Father, I've heard them pray. And I know that if they pour out their hearts in prayer the way I heard them pray this morning, then Whetstone had better look out. Because Jesus is coming to seek and save the lost. But Father, I pray that you would create here and build here a foundation upon which can be built many, many other ministries. I pray that out of the faithful prayers of the saints in this place, that a harvest will come. That instead of looking around and saying, well, maybe in a month or two months we will be able to do some evangelism, that they will look up and say, now the fields are white and ready for harvest. Thank you, Father, for your blessing. I pray that you would touch hearts and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.